You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Imagine the scene in six months' time. You get into the car, you drive into a dark evening and you pull outside and you park in the car park. You walk inside two double doors and you get a high of sugar in your left-hand side. You walk through those doors There's the muffled excitement of people chatting all around you. You're taken down a dark corridor and you go through another set of doors and there you sit on a nice comfy red seat. The lights begin to dim, the screen comes to life, music in our ears from all the speakers. We are in the cinema and I'm not sure what you're looking forward to eventually seeing in the cinema when the time comes. Maybe you're looking forward to maybe Space Jam 2 and a little bit of basketball or Mamma Mia 3 like Johnny or the new James Bond or the next Indiana Jones, the next Thor movie, Mission Possible number 7, I think it is. And you notice all those movies are sequels. And while Acts is a sequel to the book of Luke, Acts is a sequel. It's just a continuation of what's going on before. So what's the story so far in our way through the Bible? Way back at the start, we realized that there are different acts but one story. We started with creation, that one-off event that God would create the world. And then we experienced the fall, the entry of sin in the world, which we still live in the consequences of. We have that great promise in Genesis 3.15. And then Genesis 12, God's promise to, to Abraham for a seed. And that promise still continues today. Then we have the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross for our sin. We get to still enjoy today. And today we are in the fifth square, as it were, mission, what we still take part in today. And tonight, as we go through the book of Acts, it's a wee bit like one of our Mediterranean cruises. But we have to choose where we stop off. We could stop off, and some of you have on your holidays, maybe in Crete and Malta, Cyprus roads, Athens, Philippi, Corinth, or even Rome. But the plan tonight is not to take us looking at the sightseeing tour, but our plan tonight is to look at God's Word and see how it changes our hearts. The plan for tonight really is to look at the structure, the book of Luke, or book of Acts, and then finally spend some time thinking about some of those themes and how they apply to our hearts today. But before we begin, what about the relationship between Luke and Acts? I've just said it's a sequel, but so what? We see in the very first verse, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, that Acts is part two for Theophilus. Acts 1 verse 1, in the first book is how Luke introduces Acts. What else is the relationship between the two? Well, in, in Luke ends and Acts begins with Jesus' ascension. In Luke 24, the disciples have seen Jesus ascend and they're in the temple praising God. Acts, here we begin that they're waiting for Jesus' ascension and he ascends. In Luke 2, chapter 10, you'll remember that's the verse I picked out last week. Good news of great joy for all the people. And in the gospel of Luke, we really see that. How Jesus goes to all different kinds of people. But in Acts Luke 2 is be, 10 is being extended. It really is for all people to the very ends of the world. Luke, way back in chapter 1, begins at the center of the Jewish world. He begins in Jerusalem, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, right in the center of Israel, the very center for the Jews. But by the end of Acts, 
No longer are we in the center of the Jewish religious center, but we are at the center of the Gentile world in Rome. In the book of Acts, there are stories that will make us crack a smile. There's Eutychus falling asleep and falling out of a window during one of Paul's sermons. And there's certainly some people in church who are thankful they're not leaning up against a window some Sundays. There's stories that will make us <coughs> wince and cry. <coughs> we have Stephen stoning. We have Paul being, uh, saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. There is so much, but it's Acts 1 verse 8 that sets us up for the book of Acts. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says to his disciples and to us, we are to be witnesses. We are to be Christ's representatives on earth, representing him wherever we go. We are witnesses today. Jesus says they are to be witnesses. Why? Because they will receive power from the Holy Spirit. And in Acts, we see the movement from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is how the book is structured. So let us dive into this structure that we'll use tonight. Chapters 1 to 7, Jerusalem and Judea. And please have your Bible open alongside you as we take this, this quick tour through Acts. It'll be helpful to have your Bible open. And just a reminder, the slides are online for later on. Maybe it might be really helpful to have the Bible in front of you to begin with. But as we begin our, our story here in Jerusalem and Judea, we must begin with Jesus' ascension. Jesus has spoken to his disciples, and we see in chapter 1 that Jesus is taken up into heaven, taken out of their sight, and while gazing up, two men appear to the disciples, and Jesus has gone to heaven and tells them that Jesus will return. Jesus, although absent physically, he continues to to be present and to be active and to rule over the church sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus ascended means that Jesus continues to be active for us. And we've considered some of that even in recent Sunday mornings, haven't we? That he is our mediator, our great high priest, our advocate. Jesus ascender means he is ruler, uh, uh, he is king, as we've sung already. Jesus ascended to heaven alive. The disciples serve an alive, active Jesus and we serve an alive, active Jesus who continues to work. And Jesus promises this gift of the Holy Spirit. So, and then after replacing the disciples, replacing uh, Judas, chapter 1, in chapter 2 we have Pentecost, which takes place at the Pentecost Festival, the Feast of Weeks, a harvest celebration 50 days after Passover. And it's the day in which the Holy Spirit is poured out. You could say that there's a harvest of souls to be gathered in. See, as we read the Bible, there are three really important events that God is actively uh, in, involved in. There is the creation of the world. God creates the world. There is Jesus coming to earth, the gift of his Son. And then there is the one-off event of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost is a dramatic, unique moment in all of history. It is a one-off event. And the pictures we see in Acts 2 are really important because we need to read the Bible in light of all of Scripture together. So look what we have here. We have pictures of wind and fire. I wonder, did you notice? And they are important. They help us understand God's Word. Wind in the Old Testament is identified with the work of God. 
Spirit and wind is the same Hebrew word, and it has echoes of Ezekiel 37, where it wasn't until there was spirit in the bones to come until they came to life. It shows us that only the spirit can give life. Only the spirit can take us from death into life spiritually. And after the wind, we have fire. And I'm sure you are, you are able to think of fire pictures in the Old Testament. We have the, the burning bush. We have the fire before Israel in the wilderness. Fire, what does it do? It symbolizes God's presence. So during Pentecost, it is the presence of God's Spirit. Pentecost is a one-off event, but it's also the reversal of Babel. I wonder, do you remember that story in Genesis chapter 11, where the world's looking to make a, a tar and make a name for themselves? What happens? The Lord, they all had one language, and the Lord confuses their language, and they are scattered. So what happens here during Pentecost? Well, let's look at the passage 2, chapter 2, verse 4. They are all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. So they speak in different languages, and people are, are, are listening to this. And then verse 11, we hear them telling us in our own tongues the mighty works of God. The people are hearing the works of God in another language, in their own language. People who you wouldn't expect to speak different languages, they're hearing the disciples speak to them. In our tongue, they're talking about like their mother tongue, their native language. And what is God doing in all this? He is seeking to unite all of mankind to the one message of life for all of his people. It's a universal message. That's why there's the huge list of nations in verses 9 to 11. It's the reversal of Babel, that all God's people, all nations, would have this one message that they'd be able to hear, a message that would have to be heard and shared from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out into his disciples, where God is building his church, his temple, his people is now where God's spirit lives, where God dwells on the earth. And what is the Spirit for? Well, Jesus had reminded them that it was to be power, to be witnesses for Jesus. In the whole book of Acts, the power of mission is not in human strength. Acts is commonly known as the Acts of the Apostles, but it's really the Acts of Jesus and His, and his Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is at work and it moves the church. It's only the Holy Spirit that brings dead people to life, Peter's sermon, there are 3,000 people who trust in Jesus in the, in the next part of chapter 2. They continue to witness uh, through the power of God's Spirit. Just weeks after denying Jesus, Peter is there preaching. Why? Because he's the power of God's Spirit living in him. And as the people hear the Word of God, in verse 37 of chapter 2, we read in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. People were cut to the heart by God's sword, his word, and by God's spirit. The spirit, if you like, unlocked their hearts to see Jesus. And there are many stories in this first section of Acts, in the chapters 1 to 7. Uh, we have uh, the lame beggar healed, 
we have Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5. But in chapter 7, we have Stephen's speech and then his stoning too. Stephen was able to keep looking to Jesus even in the face of death. He was Jesus' witness until the very end. Why? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit living in him. I just take you back just for a moment to Acts 1 verse 8. Jesus says that you will be my witnesses. You know what the Greek word for witness is? Martyr. To hear Stephen is the first martyr, but in many ways he is not the first martyr because there were hundreds who professed faith in Jesus and they were to be martyrs. They were to be witnesses for Jesus. So in chapters 1 to 7, we have Jerusalem and Judea. In chapters 8, and then through to chapter 12, we have Samaria. We have now moved from Israel, if you like, and we're, we're moving out. And you see, as we read in chapter 8, we're introduced to this guy called Saul. And it's really Saul that approves Stephen's execution and causes the, the disciples, the church, to be persecuted and scattered. They are now spread out all over the place. And what happens? They're into verse 4 and 5. We have Philip along with others, we're told. And Philip goes to Samaria. And what does Philip do? Philip, in verse 4 and 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Philip preached Jesus. That is the message that they had to go out and send. Very simple, but it had to be done. Philip goes to Samaria and preaches Jesus. And then we have others who come to faith in Samaria. We hear the word going forward, uh, and Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. But then we have probably the most famous story. Maybe uh, after Jesus and the Gospels, probably the most famous story in, in the New Testament, Paul's uh, conversion, that light that blinded him, his Damascus Road experience. And Paul will speak about his conversion in chapters 22 and 26, not just to tell his testimony out there, but only when he is specifically asked by uh, like a court almost, only when he's specifically asked does Paul give an account of his conversion. And well, why is Paul's conversion or Saul on the road to Damascus so important? Let's quickly just look at a couple of verses. Verse 4 and 5 this light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus is, a is here speaking to Saul, and as Saul is threatening murderous threats out against the church, Jesus says, you are persecuting me. So Saul is persecuting Jesus. And then a Christian man, Ananias, is told to go meet uh, Paul later in verses 15 and 16. Why is Saul, Paul, so important in God's plan? We see it there in 15 and 16. That he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. He is to go proclaiming Jesus to the Gentiles and he will suffer. And after a few days then in verse 20... Saul, who was the guy, the Jewish guy, goes into the synagogue, and what does he say? Jesus is the Son of God. And just a couple of verses later, suddenly the tables have turned. Verse 23, they are looking to kill Saul. 
What a transformation. How did that transformation come about? Jesus and his Holy Spirit. And then we have Peter's vision in chapter 10, another famous story. Jesus is the Messiah who used to bring this, his message to all people, even the Gentiles. And then just cast your eye in verse 44 of chapter 10. The Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. Again, preaching and the God's Spirit brings spiritual life. Gentiles are included in God's kingdom. God's covenant community includes Jew and Gentile. Not just the heritage of Israel, but all peoples. And we have further reports of people believing in the name of Jesus. We have James killed. Peter is rescued and escapes. And in these initial chapters, as you will read it at home on your own or with your family, a lot of Acts is focused in and around Peter. It's Peter's the rock in which the church will be built. His sermon sets it up. As we've been in Jerusalem and Samaria, now the character that we follow is not Peter, but Paul. As we enter to the, the, the third phase of the book of Acts, the ends of the earth in chapters 13 to 28. Now, we're going to think about the themes later on, but what do you think Saul and Barnabas here, what is there going to be their mission? What are they going to do whenever they get out to the ends of the earth? What are they going to do when they get to Turkey and Greece and Italy? What are they going to do? It's very simple. Chapter 13, verse 5. What do they do after every city that they visit, no matter where it is, they have one priority, one priority alone. They proclaim the word of God. That is their priority. Every time they enter a new city, every place that they go, they are concerned with explaining God's word. And many of you will know if you've ever been maybe, I don't want to say bored in church, but maybe as a child, you've flicked through your Bible and have come to the maps at the back, you'll know that there are three missionary journeys of Paul. In journey one, it's chapters 13 and 14. Journey two, in the middle of 15 to the middle of 18, and journey 3, 18 to chapter 21. And at the end of each of those missionary journeys, as Paul journeys a voice from place to place, proclaiming God's word, he returns nearer home. So after the first journey, he returns to Jerusalem. After the second one, Caesarea and Antioch. And after this final journey in Jerusalem again. But this final visit to Jerusalem, that is controversial uh, at the time, if you, as you read scripture, that leads us to Paul's fourth journey. See, in chapters 21 and verse 27, to the very end of the book, we follow Paul's journey to Rome, his arrest, his suffering, his trials, all that he experiences. And we see very clearly that the life of a witness for Jesus is not easy. We see all the trials and the sufferings of Paul. And it's right that there are three missionary journeys for Paul as he visits all these different churches in those th first three journeys, I think you can maybe call his arrest and journey to Rome as a missionary journey. Why? Well, let's turn to the very last couple of verses of Acts. This chapter 28. Chapter 28 and verse uh, 30 and 31. I've got it wrong on the slide. And this is speaking of Paul. He lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, 
proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. It's another missionary journey, isn't it? It's exactly what he had done before, preaching God's word, proclaiming it, and he did it with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's the book over. We've journeyed in Luke's, Luke and Acts from Jerusalem to Rome. I don't know what happens next. We're left with Paul proclaiming God's word in Rome, and that is a wonderful thing. We don't know, though, what happens to Paul next, do we? Why does Luke just stop the book there? Because he's journeyed with Paul in some of these trips. Because it's not a book about Paul. It's a book about Jesus building his church through the power of his spirit. So you've had a quick fly-through Acts. But what are we to watch, watch out for? What are the things that we are to look at whenever we read it and remember? And what are those things that apply to our lives today? Well, I, I have four things, and I'll... They, some of them overlap a little bit, so let me give you them to you first. We see these themes and things that we need to act on to. Preaching, prayer, people, and then persecution. Those are our, our four P's that are things, but yet also application for us. So let's go to our first P, preaching, speaking the word of God. And that's kind of what I've highlighted to you already, and maybe you've picked up on that. It's all about the Word of God being proclaimed. It's all about preaching Christ crucified, as Paul will say later on in his letters. And you'll find in different verses, as you read through Acts, leaving different journeys and churches and places, you'll read something like this. For example, in chapter 6, verse 7, "...but the Word of God increased and multiplied the disciples." The word of God increased. The word of God went forward, and God's spirit moved in people's hearts, and they responded and became disciples. Paul preaches in the city for a little bit sometimes and has to get out of there. Other times he stays. And what does he do there in each city? He proclaims the word of God. And it's not as if Paul left, the word wasn't spoken about again. No. The church, the people were going not to have to share their testimony but they're going to have to share Jesus and his word. It's all about the word of God. It is a life. They're opening the word to others. And for us, we need to open the word to ourselves and to others. But how do we do it? We need to remember that the power of the spirit enables us. That what was the gift of the spirit. It equips us. Christians taking the gospel to others and speaking God's word to him, the Spirit enables us, the Spirit equips us. We need to be ready to share Jesus. We thought about it on Friday night with our encounter kids. We need to be ready to give an account of Jesus. We need to open the word of God to people. We're preaching, it's not just what we do on a Sunday. But we need to be opening the word of God to others. Second P is prayer. You'll read in Acts that the church devoted themselves to praying. In the book of Acts, 16 times we're told of people praying, praying for mission and for boldness. Devoted themselves to praying. We need to devote ourselves to prayer too, don't we? We're told in Acts that they devoted themselves to prayer and God's words. 
They devoted themselves. They were constantly diligent in their praying. Have you ever been constantly diligent in your prayers? Careful, thoughtful, attentive, conscientious. The persevering at days, weeks, months, years. Devoting yourself to prayer. But sometimes we do pray consistently and often. We pray for somebody maybe for a very, very long time. Maybe in our church or in our family. But sometimes prayer can be a little bit of an excuse for us. We're praying for them, but we also need to act, don't we? See, mysteriously, God has decided that he uses our prayers, he uses our efforts in expounding his word as we pray for people, as we open God's word. And it is through his word and his spirit that he brings people to life. He uses people like us. God is willing and able to change a person's heart from death to life. We need prayer. We need God's word. But God's plan will not be thwarted by our sinfulness, but we still need to act. Don't just pray about it and leave it. Pray about it and do something about it. As Christians, we are witnesses for Jesus. And maybe you are a reluctant witness, nervous or scared. Maybe you need to begin praying, asking for God's Spirit to give you boldness, just as they did in Acts, to open your mouth. I don't know how many people we have watching these evenings, at least 300 people, perhaps. Why, didn't, why don't each of us pray for each other and pray for one particular person this week? And not just this week, continuously over and over and over again, devoting ourselves to prayer, there would be 300 people who would hear the message of Jesus as we pray for each other for boldness to make that contact. No word, no prayer, there'll be no introduction to Jesus and no hope for them. Who is going to tell them if it's not to be you? Jesus calls us witnesses for him. Rico Tice, who was actually mentioned this morning, in his honest evangelism, he suggests that as you journey alongside someone, uh, walking through the Bible with them, it, it can take up to 18 months before they return, come to faith. It's not a foolproof plan. He's just saying on average. But are you willing to pray consistently and love and walk alongside for the long haul? Prayer for others is not just a game of Belfast, whatever you call it. You know, you knock on the door, ring the doorbell and run and hide and see the person open the door. It's not a case of praying for them, dumping off a track and just leaving with no love involved, no genuine follow-up or love. I'll pray for you because it will lead to awkward conversation at home perhaps or with a good friend, a parent, a son or a daughter. But God uses his people. God uses the prayers of his people and we are utterly reliant on God's spirit to work in our hearts and in the hearts of others. We need to be devoting ourselves to prayer. Third is people. People. Jesus, we're told in Luke's gospel, went to seek and to save the lost. That's the characteristic of Luke's gospel. We thought of Zacchaeus not so, long, not so far back ago. And there's others, the sinful woman. Jesus has a very, uh, is really concerned for the lost. And that theme continues in the Acts and it continues today, who needs to hear? 
I think you maybe just need to open the blinds and look out the door. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And they went, the people, God's people, went to share the good news of Jesus to the people. What does that mean for us? Well, it means in our street, in our road, in our townland, in Macrofelt, in Desert Martin, in Mid-Ulster, to the very ends of the earth. From Joe across the road, there are Akdam people in the Yemen. Our final P, persecution, which we've heard about already this evening. Constant opposition to the gospel is what we see in Acts. Stephen's sown, Christians are scattered, James killed, Paul imprisoned. Persecution is the life of the church. It's the life of the church throughout the centuries from the beginning at different places and in different times. There's the very clear persecution that leads to death. People who witness Jesus until they die, they're literally martyrs. The much less serious for us, isn't it? Discrimination, perhaps. There's no torture or plain oppression. If you think a long time ago now, pre-pandemic, Jeremy Hunt was in the Foreign Office and they uh, researched and produced a government report. And they found that the persecution of Christians in part of the world is near genocide levels. It faced, they were worried that Christianity would be wiped out from parts of the Middle East. They warned that the, there might be, Christianity might be at risk of disappearing. It quoted different countries like Iraq, where there are over a million in less than 20 years, there's 120,000. Evidence showed them that there's the geographical spread of anti-Christian persecution and hatred and increasing in severity. But why are Christians the most persecuted people group? Because we are the religion with the one true God. Jesus and his followers will be persecuted. It is part of the spiritual battle for souls but take heart because Jesus always comes on top. He has stamped the head of the serpent. So many countries are persecuting. We look at the open door lists. We hear awful stories of individuals and peoples. But God always fulfills his plan. Way back in 1953, the Chinese got rid of all their foreign missionaries. On that point, we're told in the church in China, there were three quarters of a million Protestant Christians there. And the expulsion of missionaries was supposed to get rid of the church, wasn't it? But if you look at the open doors tonight and look at China, you'll read this. China's growing Christian community currently stands at around 92.2 million, just under 7% of the country's total population. Not wiped out, sure it's not. Don't think Christianity will be wiped out. I don't think it's at risk of disappearing. See, what man intended for evil, persecution, maybe God intended it for good. He is working out his purposes year on year, and that is what will happen. We've experienced hard trials of our own, maybe, in our daily lives with friends. But what is true of our own lives is also true for the church across history on a global scale. What might seem like a setback or a trouble, the opposition or real great difficulty, we are obedient to Christ's mission he has given to us. 
King Jesus will work it all out. God will accomplish his work through his church. The whole book of Acts is just the sequel to Luke's gospel. That's where we started. But it's the acts of Jesus and his spirit, and it is not over. There's a great church planting movement called Acts 29 because it's like the next chapter of Acts is still to be written. Some of us listening will go to another land and they will preach Jesus. Christians, what are we really? We are really Jesus' witness. Maybe if we use that, our attitude would be a little bit different. We are Jesus' witness and we will open God's word to the lost people around us. Jesus' witnesses will be constantly diligent, devoted to prayer and his word, praying for themselves for boldness to share God's word, praying for others to have boldness to share God's word, praying that Jesus' witness, witnesses would act, praying that the Spirit would bring life to the lost, praying for the witness of Jesus throughout the world. Remarkably, God's plan is to use his witnesses, his people who have been equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us to let us be on our knees, devoting ourselves to prayer for God's word to be declared and his spirit to be received and open hearts. His work is not done. His work is not done. And we are his witnesses. So let us preach, pray, look after the people and pray for the persecuted church. The work is still to be done, so let us sing together this, this hymn, facing a task unfinished as we reach the world for Jesus. Mm-hmm.